0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to talk about fertilizing winter wheat. Yeah, it's time to think about that already. Man, we've got soybeans out in the field still putting on flowers and we're already thinking about the ground that's going to winter wheat. What are we going to do for fertility? So we'll talk about that today. Also take your calls and
1: questions at 844- 44 Ag PhD. All right, so when it comes to this fertility thing, I guess the number one thing we're always going to encourage you to do is soil testing. And please, please don't just take one soil sample for a whole field and say, well, this is what my field is. Or I have too many acres to be pulling lots of samples out here. Okay, I want you to prove this to yourself because you may not believe a couple of guys from South Dakota that are asking you to do a little more soil testing but I want you to just take one field let's make it a small field 20 acres 40 acres take your smallest field okay I want you to do one acre soil test grids and I know it's going to be a stretch for you and it's something you haven't done before please please trust me do one acre grids and then do a composite test at the on the same day. So in other words, you walk around the field, you pull a bunch of soil cores, mix it all together, throw that in. okay, And compare your one soil test. That's the composite method. That's the way people used to do it versus the one acre grid thing. Oh, and also, after we prove that this one acre grid thing pays, don't think you have to do that every year. You don't You really only have to do that one time. Now, granted, I mean, like on our farm, and we're trying to get lots of data, we're trying to generate data all the time so we have more things to talk to you about, and we're trying to make more money on the farm. So I do, we do one-acre grids every year. But if you only did it one time, and then let's say you went to larger grids or zones later, fine. Because now you've had the one opportunity to even things out in your field. In other words, you're going to find pockets where you got horrible fertility, I'm going to guess, and other pockets where it's like, oh, hey, I actually have, you know, a fair amount of p here or zinc or whatever else. And now you can even those things out. Later, it's pretty easy. You just replace what you removed. So what I'm trying to encourage you to do here is get more information off your field and figure out what's going right and what's going wrong. And we can talk about just replacing what you removed. And I like that, okay? If nothing else, I would just replace what I removed. Uh, we're using some new software th- where we can do that if I, I just say, you know what, I, I don't have time to soil test this year. I, we just did a couple years ago, even stuff out, whatever. Uh, let's just replace it where you removed. So now we can variable rate it across the field. It's awesome. So I love that. But the thing is, and I just want you to think about this for a second, if you do that, you aren't fixing any problems. Sure, you're getting yourself back to where you were before, But is where you were before right? Or if you were to tweak that a little bit, if you were to fine-tune that fertility program, if you were to better invest your fertilizer dollars, could you make more money? Well, here's the reason why we've gotten so... I mean, what a lot of people might call over the top on the soil testing thing is because it's just made our farm so much money. It's unbelievable. And then the other side of that is it makes your soil richer, your soil health is better, which then eventually leads to even more yield later on. It's awesome. So you do whatever you want, I don't care. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't make any difference to me however you manage your farm but i would encourage you to at least do one field where you're doing one acre grids and then you do it however else you want to do it on the rest of your ground and then just see see what you see for difference but if you do the one acre grid and you compare it to a composite test in the same field where the test was pulled on the same day and by the way i i know this because This is how we got started in it too. Because I'm like, ah, is it really going to pay to go with smaller grids? So I'll I'll just put it this way. Darren's usually a little more gung-ho on some of the new things than I am. I am a skeptic always. And I'm like, yeah, let's prove it in the field. So that's always how Darren and I settle any arguments. It's like, okay, let's prove it in the field. Well, Darren was right. I was wrong. And I always tell people, I like being wrong. You know why? Because now we found out a way to make more money. If we would have just gone with my idea, we would not have made nearly as much money on our farm in the last five, six years. Not even close. So fortunately, I was wrong. We figured it out. And <laughs> then uh, I got on board. And now it's like, oh, yeah, now now we got to do this. Well, it's only because I was proven wrong in the field. And that's what I want you to do, too. Figure it out yourself. If you don't believe that I'm right, I didn't believe I was right. You know, that small Small grids. Were were correct, go prove it in the field. If it pays, then I don't care if you farm fifty thousand acres. You can afford to do one acre soil test grids. It doesn't cost that much money. We're still talking on a per acre basis. And you might say I don't have the labor. I'll tell you what. If it makes you enough money, you can hire all kinds of people to do stuff. We were talking about this huh, the other day. And with for a, what?
0: And for what fertility costs? If right. it saves you just a little bit. Oh, yeah. my goodness. You're going to spend thousands on fertility and maybe millions, depending on how big you farm.
1: Yep. I, I, was go, I was talking to an agronomist the other day about something, and it was where basically a farmer had to do uh, three hours worth of work to make $3,000. It was legit, it, like flat out, just make $3,000. I go, do you think you could talk somebody into you know working for $1,000 an hour? I don't know. Hey, maybe not. It's like, come on. Well, once you figure some of these things out— And you you figure out what's making you money. That's what you want to spend your time at. That's what you got to focus on. So anyway, we're just going to encourage you, at least on one field, small grids. All right. We'll get into the rest of fertilizing winter wheat today and, and run through a few more things. But once you've got soil test results, we're always going to encourage you, please learn as much as you can about soil testing I'm not saying your fertilizer dealer doesn't know how to read a soil test. Maybe that person does, maybe that person doesn't. But if you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars on fertilizer in your farming career, shouldn't that be something you should know about? If you don't, I just encourage you attend an Ag PhD soils clinic. We put them on for free just to talk about how to read a soil test so you understand the stuff. It's not that complicated. It looks complicated at first, but we'll try to keep it simple. We're going to talk fertilizing winter wheat right after this. Stay tuned. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker
2: one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here.
1: (laughs) Uh, excuse me, I'm a little confused.
2: Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Valtima Fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility.
1: One-third of a dog. Oh. Right.
2: Get everything you deserve with Valtima Fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions.
1: Combine header loss means loss income. Hi, Greg Sauter from 360 Yield Center. It's common to see a two bushel loss per acre due to header loss. That's over $14 per acre. 360 Yield Saver replacement gathering chains cut header loss by cushioning the ear and by closing the gaps between the deck plates. 360 Yield Saver can cut header loss by 80%, adding $14 per acre. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com.
3: Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes balance to be successful in farming
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about fertilizing winter wheat on our show today and obviously whenever we talk into fertilizing a crop or putting the right crop nutrients out there, this information really, it it, it is important to you no matter what crop you're growing. We're focusing specifically on winter wheat today, but obviously if you're a spring wheat guy, well it makes a lot of sense. There's going to be a lot of the same things here that come into play, but really it comes down to soils Brian started this discussion off by saying you got to take soil soil samples to know where you're at and to know which nutrients you need to be addressing we got Danny Titus on right now with agroliquid Danny I know uh, I know you talk soil testing as well that's super important as a base for building a program
4: yes absolutely uh, super important to know where you're at so that you uh, really know how to fertilize for what your goal is
0: now for a lot of guys with winter wheat, they say, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but I'm raising winter wheat and it might not survive out there in the winter. Uh, I usually respond, and I don't know if this is being a smart aleck, but I'm like, well, I can tell you this, if you don't fertilize correctly and that plant's starving going into the winter, I can tell you what your survival is going to be like. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you've
4: you got to have enough nutrients out there, um, you know, And what you're putting down when, you know, either before you plant or at planting, you know, that's the best time to get down the foss and get down the micronutrients. Nitrogen is something that we can always put on throughout the growing season. Uh, A lot of times out here in in my territory, we do a lot of uh, top dressing nitrogen in the spring. You know, we might even be doing that in January and February, uh, going out and top top dressing on more nitrogen at that point once we know that uh, it looks like we're going to survive the winter.
0: You know, what the nitrogen, there is a lot of debate about that. And I'll talk to some farmers that say, well, where I'm at, it's pretty dry. I've got heavy soils. The ground's going to be frozen over the winter. I just want to put everything out up front. But other guys say, well, then I get a lot more tillers, and I don't necessarily want to have a ridiculous amount of tillers. I'd rather save a little bit of that end for later. Where do you come down on that one, Danny? Do you like seeing a pretty good dose up front, or do you like waiting for, for a majority of it?
4: Myself, I kind of like you know i I want some nitrogen up front uh you know in in my part of the country, it really kind of determines on if a guy's going to be running cattle on that through the winter uh, doing some grazing of that wheat, you know then I'm going to run some more some more nitrogen in the fall there so that I can have some good growth for those cattle to uh feed on, but if not, if I'm just going for grain period um Granted, I want to have some nitrogen up front, but I like to put more of it later on, you know, after the first of the year in winter wheat. Um, I like nitrogen, you know, so many times we, uh, some of us are looking at what we can get in the way of protein on that wheat. And uh, nitrogen is very important when it comes to the protein level within that.
0: Yeah, it sure is. And and having nitrogen available later in the season is a big deal for, for guys that put it all out up front. Uh, that's often a challenge if, if we're not set up to be able to put at least some amount of nitrogen on later on in the season. Uh, how about sulfur, Danny? We get so many questions about this, and this is one I'd say with wheat farmers in general. We've heard a lot of guys in the last few years say, man, I've upped my sulfur and it has really improved my crop
4: yes yes sulfur you know that that was something that we didn't think a whole lot of for a long time uh we scrubbed all the sulfur out of our diesel fuel we aren't getting it free out of our out of our atmosphere with our rains and stuff and and really we've become sulfur deficient a lot within our country and and uh, guys are seeing big returns on investment in putting sulfur within that you know and it. You know, a 50 bushel wheat crop, you're talking 12, 15 pounds sulfur that it's going to take. So having sulfur in there is is rather important.
0: Talk to us about the micros now. You mentioned before uh, getting things like phosphorus and micros on up front is really important. They don't move around in the soil very well, at least compared to other nutrients. With the micros, though, Danny, here's the challenge. I see a lot of soil tests where guys haven't included all the micronutrients on there. Maybe they had zinc on there or boron or something, but not all of them. And so oftentimes guys are saying, well, if I do micros, then I'm going to do a blend rather than addressing individual ones, which isn't all bad. But uh, how do you even know how much to put on if you haven't tested for it?
4: Yeah, it, you, you've got to get that complete soil test so that you've got all of those micronutrients on there because we, we know from experience if we get things out of whack within our soils when it comes to micronutrients, we can really be causing a problem with uptake of phosphorus. Mm-hmm. Um It could be a type deal where you might have a fair amount of of phosphorus out there, but you aren't getting the uptake of the phosphorus into the plant like what you need to because you've got your micronutrients uh, out of balance. So, um, you know, in winter wheat, iron is a very big micronutrient, so is manganese. Those two are are important. Um, We have a, a product called Micro 600, which, I like to really uh, position in, in my winter wheat area in my territory it it has a that right amount of iron and manganese in there for that wheat crop as well as it has sulfur within it which is always a help too.
0: Yeah there, there are a lot of nutrients that we see uh, I, I've had a lot of guys talk to me about zinc as well for boy this one really uh-huh. helped me with uh, moisture regulation within the plant and I don't know, there's just so many nutrients out there, they all have their individual role. Like you say, if we load up on one, like nitrogen, we know what's going to happen, our wheat's going to fall over, and it's going to be a disaster uh, if we don't have a good amount of P&K and and the other nutrients out there, too.
4: Yes, absolutely.
0: Talking with Danny Titus here with Liquid about fertilizing the winter wheat crop. Uh, Danny, great stuff. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much.
4: You bet. No problem. Have a good day.
1: One of the things I was going to bring up is everybody wants to focus on N, P, and K, but let's not forget about the secondary nutrients, the micronutrients, and then also just some ratios on things. We've talked a lot about phosphorus to zinc, uh, you know, somewhere in the general ballpark of 10 to 1 ratio, and phosphorus to copper, somewhere in the general ballpark of 30 to 1 for a ratio, what we found is you start getting those ratios way off, and it can be close, okay? It, it's not like it has to be exactly 10 to 1 and 30 to 1. If you're relatively close, fine. But we've had situations where, oh, it's way off. It's 3 to 1. It's 100 to 1. And then yield is really suffering. So I'm I'm just saying here, it, it really pays to kind of dig into this fertility thing a little bit more You can learn these things very easily with just looking at your soil tests. And if you ever have a soil test you want us to take a look at, we're more than happy to do that. You can just send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We get these uh, these requests in pretty much every day. Hey, can you take a look at my soil test? And we talk about quite a few of those here on the show as well. It's really not that complicated. But if you don't look at everything, you don't get a complete test, it gets kind of challenging. Uh, And I know we're talking about winter wheat today here. But I was just going past one of our alfalfa fields today where we had to put some lime on a few years ago because had we not raised the pH prior to getting alfalfa out there, we would have suffered a dramatic yield loss. Alfalfa is so touchy. Wheat is much better in terms of pH. So you can have a, a wider range on pH. You can be in the sixes. You can usually be in the low sevens. You're still probably maximizing your your winter wheat or spring wheat yield. Not quite as big a deal. Now, granted, uh, we don't want to be in the fives. We don't want to be in the eights um, or anything like that. So got to be a little bit careful. And then the other big thing, when we start talking about that, if the pH is off, is what caused that? How did the pH get low in the first place? How did the pH get high in the first place? Because I want you to think about this. When it was native prairie, do you really think that the pH was down in the 4s or the pH was up in the 9s? Probably not in most cases. So what we're trying to figure out is, all right, what did we do as farmers to screw it up? So I think about even our own farm where we put on too much nitrogen in some areas over a period of years, didn't variable rate or anything, just put blanket rate on, across the board, and we drove pH way too low in some areas. Then we have other areas, poor drainage, had sodium issues, we've got to get those things taken care of. Well, stay tuned, we'll talk more wheat fertility right after this.
0: When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere,
3: and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking about fertilizing today. And when you think about fertilizing a crop, a lot of ways to apply that fertilizer, whether it be in a dry form or a liquid form or or even anhydrous. Uh, You you can go over the top of a crop, you can go ahead of the crop, you can go underneath the crop. Uh, There's a lot of different ways you can do things and and a bunch more that I didn't even list there. So when it comes to getting stuff applied, well, we've got Nick Flights with us with Pentair to talk about how how do we get all this stuff done and, and done in the best way. Nick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. You know, we're talking about winter wheat today, and, and there's a lot of discussion around, well, am I better stream barring? Am I better uh, with a nozzle that can put out streams? Am I better uh, just broadcasting it over the top? What I know you've done a lot of work on this. What, what do you see for differences there, and, and what are some of the things that you recommend?
6: Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of talk and, and conjecture about, you know, what's the best method to, uh, you know, top dress winter wheat. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a lot or I've seen some things done on it. And I think, in my opinion, it really comes down to a couple things. And, you know, I t- talk a lot about agronomics. I'm an agronomist, but part of agronomics is also economics. And I personally haven't seen any real yield difference in the various application methods for streaming on liquid nitrogen. We may at times see some variability in some bit of crop injury, some leaf burn from that liquid nitrogen from various methods based on the the terrain that we're applying it in. But tying that back to actual yield differences becomes very difficult. uh, And I haven't seen any reliability in doing so. Uh, So when I'm recommending application methods for liquid nitrogen and winter wheat, you know, that's kind of where I start and, and say, how do we get a good economic solution for you and one that's really convenient? So, you know, stream bars have been very popular for uh, streaming on liquid nitrogen, but they're not always the most convenient option. Um, you know, you have to take them on and off the sprayer. Uh, a lot of times when folding up your boom or when you're switching between applications. I personally prefer uh, just the tip style of a, a stream nozzle like the ESI from Pentair High Pro with six streams because you, you can leave it on all year round. I think it's quick and convenient. You know, you don't have to take it off. There's very little risk of injury or or damaging if if you catch the ground or or catch any crop canopy. And um, I think that uh, talking about economics, again, the the price comes into play. Uh, You know, stream bars can be two to three times as expensive as a stream tip, whether it be from Hypro or T-Jet or anyone else. And again, I don't know that the, the economics really justify um, the, the additional cost uh, of a more expensive solution if you're not seeing any reliable increase in yield. So for streaming, that's that's really what I, I recommend. And I know I know there's guys out there that like the broadcast option. They like to tank mix in a herbicide with their, their liquid fertilizer. Um, a lot of guys still doing that. If you are doing that, You want to combine those applications. I completely understand the efficiency gain there. In that case, I recommend a coarser droplet size to reduce the amount of coverage that we see on uh, the the wheat leaf plate surface. So use a drift reduction nozzle. um, That's going to give you a coarser droplet size because we're not looking for high coverage on leaf surface. You want to kind of balance those out. I know you want to get good coverage on the weeds you're applying the herbicide to uh, so just try and stay away from medium and coarse droplets and, and try and have a nozzle uh, selected that's going to give you very coarse or extra coarse droplets. That's going to kind of give you a good balance of, of you know, coverage there, but not too high a droplet density. It's going to cause too much leaf burn.
0: Hey, Nick, uh, for guys that are using liquid nitrogen as their their primary nitrogen source, if they're raising really good wheat, it's a lot of gallons to handle. And I know we get the same thing with many of the foliar applications. If we say, gosh, for this product to work the best, we need 20 gallons of water, people start getting nervous about, oh my goodness, it's so much product to handle. But uh, can you talk just a little bit too about how to handle product a little faster? I know with different pumps and uh, you know, three-inch lines versus two, and so forth. You've got some options to, to help guys do things a little quicker.
6: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's really where some of our biggest efficiency gains in spraying can can be achieved. You know, if you look at the breakdown, if you're if the number of hours on your sprayer, if forty percent of those are actually spraying in the field, you're doing really, really good. Most guys are closer to to thirty or thirty-five percent, and so there's a lot of time. Spent filling and in transport. So if we can reduce that fill time, there's a lot more spray de- spray hours in the day that we can achieve. Part of that can be done with pumps. Um, you know, if you've been watching, uh, a lot of the extreme ag guys this year have been upgrading their transfer pumps. Um, some for liquid nitrogen actually, and picking up some efficiency gains there. Upgrading to a larger pump, say from a two to a three inch pump, and some of that plumbing, uh, you can move product through a lot quicker. I know you all have done that on your nurse trailer uh, on your farm as well to to pick up some of those gains. So um, that's one thing to really look at. Look at your pump size. Look at upgrading all your plumbing, and you can really move product a lot faster. There's also, if you're mixing as well, there's a lot of good technology out there and products for mixing and inducting quicker. You know, we have some solutions at Pintar High Pro. There's other companies out there as well. I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of different folks working in that area in nurse trailers. You know, it's kind of been a big area lately. Upgrade that nurse trailer. Um, it's going to be worth it to help you transport. And it's going to really going to help you spray more acres in a day. You're going to get a lot more acres sprayed in a day by reducing your fill and load time rather than just trying to drive faster through the field.
0: One other thing, Nick, uh, as we were talking about nitrogen there, I got thinking, okay, some guys just say, you know what, I'm going to put it out with a pre-emerge herbicide rather than do it in crop at all. And maybe it's a portion of what they're doing, but in some cases it might be the whole works. We get some high-volume liquid fertilizer applications going on in front of wheat. Uh, What about nozzle selection and any considerations on high-volume ground application of fertilizer?
6: Yes, so the the first thing I I would point out is the difference in solution density. It's a much higher solution density with liquid fertilizers than it is if your carrier is water. So you want to factor that into your nozzle selection, your calibration and setup for the sprayer. You're going to need a larger size tip uh, to get the same flow rate as you would with a, a carrier of water due to that higher solution density It may require higher pressure, like, very likely, you're going to require a larger size tip. Uh, so, if you're making that change from water as a carrier to liquid fertilizer, keep that in mind. That that you're going to need to upsize a tip. There's a lot of good phone apps out there. Um, Ag PhD has a nozzle selection app. Pentre High a nozzle selection app. Really, all your nozzle manufacturers have them that are going to help you with that. So, so check those out if you're doing that. And
0: um, <clears throat> oh, I lost my train of
6: thought on my next point. Um, on, on that topic, to be honest
0: with you. Well, getting that nozzle selection right is important. And like you mentioned, you are dealing with a heavier product. We're dealing with fertilizer versus water. So lots of things to to consider there. And of course the, the wear and tear on equipment as you're doing this, just make sure you keep things cleaned up. I know it's always a big thing on our farm too at the end of the day. Let's spray that thing off. Let's get the fertilizer off the equipment because uh, spray equipment, it's not cheap and we don't want to have to replace it anytime sooner than we normally would. We're talking with Nick They flights. can be corrosive oh. to
6: transfer pumps. I'll say real quick, some parts transfer pumps, the liquid nitrogen and fertilizer can be corrosive too. If you let it sit in nozzles and nozzle bodies all year long, it can also be a little bit corrosive and prematurely age and wear your nozzles. So clean out is a very good uh, thing to hit on there.
0: You bet. Well, Nick, thank you so much. We're talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair. Thanks for all the info and uh, appreciate having you on the show. Thank
6: you. Hope you all have a great day.
0: Talking about fertilizing winter wheat on our program today, but I should mention our our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have a question on winter wheat or really anything agronomic, we would love to help you. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. And I know we mentioned soil tests to start off this, this discussion on fertilizing winter wheat. If you've got soil tests you want us to look at, hey, we're just an email away. Send us an email. We'll look at your tests. If you want to call in and talk about them, that's fine as well. We'll dive back into this fertility topic coming up right after this.
2: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brother's. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers.
1: Corn rootworms are called a billion dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost
3: you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC.
1: Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use.
2: Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals.
5: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency
2: and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051.
0: listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today we're talking about fertilizing winter wheat and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 ag phd let's head to the phone lines here we got Stephen on down in texas and and by the way steven sent in some soil samples here and is a winter wheat grower so perfect timing you got us right on the perfect day here Stephen. yes sir yes we do uh we're looking to
7: uh We're about to, we're looking to uh, start spreading a little fertilizer before we start planting. Uh, We usually start planting, you know, mid to end of September if we have the moisture. If we have to, we'll start dry sowing it during October. Uh, Like we, uh, like the email said, we looked, a a lot of it we graze cattle and, uh, which we'll graze some out, but we, a lot of it will graze cattle and still harvest the wheat too. So, uh, we like to have, uh, put out a little bit of nitrogen to get the wheat grown for the cattle and, uh. Which we know, I know y'all. I sent y'all our uh, soil samples, and we're pretty high in calcium. I didn't know if y'all had a suggestion how to combat that.
1: Uh, okay, so first of all, yeah, we just I I just got a letter from you today that had I, I'm going to assume the same soil test. I haven't even had a chance to look at it. I just saw that that came in, and then I is it the uh, same? it's yeah, it, the same thing. Yep, oh, same thing. Okay, yep. So yeah, and, and I'm just looking over your soil tests here. It, It is a little bit variable because you've got one field, for example, that it says, let's see if I can get that pulled up here, 79.4% calcium, 10.9% magnesium. And on that one, you got 6.3% sodium. So the sodium is getting to be a real concern for us. Now, I know your soil test ratings say optimum. Um, We call anything above 1% sodium concerning. Uh, And granted, uh, your lab may run things a little bit different than we're used to at Midwest Labs, but still it looks like they're using a lot of the same testing methods. And when I see 6.3% sodium, I start to get worried. So let me just guess, is that irrigated ground? Uh, No, it's,
7: uh, no, it's not. Uh, Manure. That field, that field, uh, it actually, there was a, uh, there's a, a spot in that field that uh, there was an old wool well uh, that was drilled, and out. we think that the uh, you know a little bit of salt water yep. uh, gotcha. fell out into that uh, out into that
1: field. Yeah. See, we aren't used to dealing with oil wells here uh, where I'm at in South Dakota. But uh, anyway, we, I, okay, we also I got aren't it.
0: used to dealing with a uh, hundred plus degrees every day when you guys are out pulling soil <laughs> samples. So hopefully, you're getting that done in the morning. <laughs>
7: Uh, yeah, we tried to, uh, which this week it's actually a little bit cooler than it has been. Uh, right now it's 101, but uh, we have been in the 110s, 111s uh, yeah. these wow. past couple of weeks.
1: Yep. Okay. So back to your first question, which was high calcium levels. All right. So you've got some that is, like on the very first one I looked at, it's 89.4% calcium, 6.8% magnesium, 3.5% potassium. So as a standard thing, we're going to usually say, look, we want magnesium, if we can, to be up in that 10 12 kind of range percentage wise so if it was me would i consider putting on some magnesium sulfate or something like that sure i would when i look at a lot of your nutrients um, other than potassium potassium is actually in a lot of these tests Pretty good. You got 400 parts per million on on potassium in a lot of these. So I'm not saying it's super high, but you know, three and a half percent base saturation K. So that's that's about what we'd be looking for. We're usually talking four percent. So the main thing we see is the magnesium is low. Now beyond that. Um, you're just it appears that in a lot of these fields you're really short on sulfur and sulfur is one of the things that can start to push some of that calcium out when you're in excess. So in other words, what I'm saying is rather than just doing urea, for example, I might consider at least using some ammonium sulfate. And over time, I'm just going to try to keep my sulfur levels up, which hopefully will start to drive down the calcium just a little bit. So that's usually how we address the higher calcium. And quite frankly, that's how we would address higher magnesium and higher sodium as well. So sulfur is a real key, and it just looks like in, not everywhere, but in some of these yields you're a little bit on the low side on sulfur and then some of the micronutrient issues that was the other thing that i kind of noticed uh just the zinc half a part per million and a lot of it copper half a part per million uh, so those are things that i would want to over time start working on and building up a little bit
7: which we normally uh will uh, we look normally we use in the past we put out uh anhydrous uh and uh we'd put out anhydrous but then we'd always put out MAP or DAP with the seed Um, but then we've we've kind of uh, moved away from uh, anhydrous and which we can either spray it or we can uh, spread uh, the you know the dryer liquid sure and we'd always put out uh, MAP or DAP or MEZ even with the seed yeah and if we have to top dress it we can but yeah uh, that's what we were we were just curious if ammonium sulfate would help with the
1: Yep. You know, drive down that calcium level. Yeah, it, it will. But I, I just say our expectations have to be realistic. In other words, when you're at 5,000, 6,000 parts per million on calcium, we can't drive that out in a day with the kind of normal rates that you're going to apply in the field. But, you know, you just take little steps and, and things will improve over time. And anyway, when I was talking about variance in that one spot that had a higher sodium, it also had a lot of nitrate. Nitrate. You were at 121 parts per million on nitrate, whereas in some of the other samples it was like 17 or 20. And, uh, keep
0: in mind, it's it's a pretty tough drought right now, Brian. So that could be part of it. We've seen higher nitrate levels here on those drought years. Yeah, too.
1: but I'm 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 just simply saying, yeah. Here's another one that's 70. It's one of these things where um we we like to as much as we can kind of vary things in our fields based on what that field already has so if I've got a bunch of nitrogen out there I don't need to go spending a, a crazy amount on nitrogen so I just kind of keep keep your eye on that level too
7: yep uh, that's kind of which we uh, past, like I said we which those fields we taught we taught dress last year as well and uh, we were just kind of looking for a recommendation for for um, what we should do this year, which we know it's, uh, we'd have to continue fighting the high amounts of uh, calcium and all that over the years, but yeah, uh, we're just in. I guess we're in it for the long haul. I guess we're just looking for a recommendation. Yeah.
1: Now the other thing is, whenever I see it's thirty cation exchange capacity. And we've got some saline issues where there is some, some salt, number one, and then there's, there's some sodium, a little more sodium than what I would like then. And I know this may sound crazy for as hot as you guys are, but that's one of the, the things where we're always talking about drain tile and, and just flushing salts through the soil when they can only go, when water can only go up and it, it only evaporates out. Then we leave more salt behind—sodium, those kind of things. So, that—that—that's just something for you to be considering over time. How much rainfall do you get in your area normally in a year?
7: Uh, about 23 inches. Okay,
1: yeah. So that's yeah, yeah, that's not much. As hot as you guys are, yeah. I didn't know exactly where you were at in Texas. But yeah, twenty, yeah, twenty, twenty-three is not a lot. That's similar to what we get, and we're quite a bit cooler than you guys. But anyway, right? Uh, yep. I, I would just say um, there may be pockets out there, so I don't know um, how what you did here for zones, grids, composite, anything else. But I'll just say this: if you've got some, let's call it low spots where water could ever possibly sit, that's where I'm looking at. at at trying to improve that drainage. You've already done what you can having good calcium levels, so that's great. Um, You know, beyond that, I'm usually talking to guys about drain tile in those spots because, yeah, I'm worried over time if your salinity keeps building, your sodium keeps building, it's going to make cropping worse. And salts and sodium are harder on a crop in heat as opposed to when it's cool. So, with your normal conditions, it's it's a little tough in those areas. So, do you see like pockets in your field where the the crop suffers a little more, and maybe higher sodium, higher salt areas?
7: Which the uh, the fields you're talking about, it's uh, I know I sent two different uh, samples. Yep. Yep. Uh, or we did two different samples, and anyways, the uh, that south half, which it's the. Uh, It's the one that actually is slightly saline. Yep. Uh, Yeah, South Porter. Yep. It uh, it actually started kind of burning up uh right before harvest. Uh, and it I think it averaged about thirty-four bushels. Uh, which is I think the normally on a normal year I mean it might make forty-five or fifty. Yeah. Uh, but Definitely, you could tell to a line almost where that line or where that that, that, field was and where it was burning up pretty bad.
1: Yeah, that saline and sodium really makes a difference. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Get uniform control in your
3: fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works over time for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout Event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at Deerequipment.com. From
2: machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: You're and listening to Ag PhD Radio. I've been talking about winter wheat fertilization. And Brian, uh, we did talk about some micronutrients. And, and this question comes in from Warren over in Wisconsin. He said, I got a micronutrient question here about manganese. And I've struggled this year with manganese deficiency in any of my crops. I sprayed four times this year to keep the crop green in my lower peat ground. Now, it's been something I've had issues with now for, for a while, but I'm curious, do you feel like banding 75 to 100 pounds an acre of manganese sulfate would overcome the tie-up? Also, if I do something in furrow and I run a chelated manganese, for example, how much can I safely run in furrow? I thought maybe putting some right by the roots at the start of the season
1: could help me out with my early growth. Okay. I love when we get the questions about how much can I do safely? Here's the important thing to consider. Fertilizer is salt. Salt, when in excess, is going to kill your crop. So we always have to be careful. I don't care what kind of fertilizer we're talking about. We just always have to be careful about rates. And with manganese, is it something where I go, ooh, a tiny little bit and it's going to do lots of harm? Usually not. Uh, but by the same token, it's a micronutrient and your your crop doesn't need much in a whole year. So that's too where it's hard to start thinking about, you know, I'm going to invest, okay, well, you, you said 75 to 100 pounds. I mean, how much is that going to cost? $50 an acre? $30 an acre? I, I mean, you go, whoa, that's a, that's a lot. I don't know that I want to spend that kind of money. So just as an example, if I take a look and I'm just pulling up the Egg PhD Fertilizer Removal app right now and I punch up corn and I say, okay, I'm going for 250 bushel corn. All right, 250 bushel corn in terms of manganese is only going to need 2.06 pounds. Two. So
0: manganese costs for, for actual manganese, uh it costs about three
1: and a half dollars a pound. Uh, well, that's in the form of manganese sulfate. So, what's the price on manganese sulfate? Twenty-four hundred a ton, roughly. Twenty-four hundred a ton. Okay, so in other words, and that's a dollar and manganese. twenty dollar and twenty cents per pound. Per pound of the product. Right. Per pound of the product. Okay. So my point was, yeah. And so I was even way low. All right. Thanks for now telling me we have to spend more money. All right. So he said, but seriously, think about this. He said 75 to 100 pounds. So at the 100-pound level, you're talking $120 per acre for a nutrient that you only need two pounds per year. And that's with a great corn crop, 250 bushel corn. And by the way, the grain removal on that is very little. Most of that stays in the field if you leave the stover in the field. Uh, The grain is only going to remove 0.18 pounds. (laughs) So it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So here's the thing. The peat soil probably has a cation exchange capacity of 50 to 100. So there are a lot of binding sites. And the problem is your little bit of manganese you have out there is just getting overwhelmed by the fact you have a ridiculous amount of clay. So, would I consider cuz I do all kinds of crazy stuff and in some cases waste money. Would would I consider taking a few acres of peat ground and throwing $120 worth of manganese sulfate out there? I probably would cuz I'm crazy. Realistically, is that going to make up the money that you spent over time? Doesn't have to be instantaneously cuz obviously you got enough there for probably the next 50 years. Uh, so over the next, let's call it five years, would I be able to recover $120? And so this is, and I'm just, I'm stepping this through. Cause this is usually the way I think about crazy things that I do. I go, all right, let's just say that I can get my money back in five years. Would I be happy with that? Sure. I would. Plus I learned something. Okay. So if I say corn's worth $5, how many more bushels do I have to have there? I got to have 24 more bushels in total. If I do it over five years, we're talking five bushels a year, roughly. Could I gain five bushels by having a good level of manganese in the plant? I probably could. And I'd probably try it on a few acres, but I sure would not go crazy because $120 an acre is going to sound nuts. Anybody you suggest that to, maybe even your spouse, they're going to go, are you crazy? So maybe just try it on a little bit. And do I think that would be enough to overcome it? It probably would, yes. Yes. Um, Do I think that banding 100 pounds of manganese sulfate uh, would hurt the crop? Probably not, but that's pushing it. The highest we've done is 100 pounds per acre broadcast, but it hasn't been peat soil either. So I'd probably try this on a very, very small scale just in case everything goes wrong. All right. In terms of how much can you put in furrow? Usually, we're only talking a quart. I, I mean, could you try a couple of quarts of a manganese chelate? You could certainly try that, but we don't want to get overboard in, in furrow. In furrows, when the seed is obviously just getting going, and you got to be the most careful. So, that that's what I would say. It's it's just really tough in peat soils. So, Darren and I have some super heavy farm ground that we have. 40, 45 canine exchange capacity. It's not quite to the level of peat soil, but it's close. And I would just say to overcome issues like potassium or even things like this manganese, I mean, it costs a crazy amount of money. Now, granted, when you fix the stuff, it's fixed for a long time. And it's pretty decent ground and it does have some moisture in it. And so it's okay, but you got to get your checkbook out if you're going to fix issues in the field. That's all I know.
0: All right, thanks for the questions. Good luck to you, Warren, and good to see you at the field day this year again. Uh, get this one in from Jr. and it came in yesterday on yesterday's program. We were talking about potassium, and he said, uh, "Happy birthday to Brian."
1: Uh, and oh no, that's <laughs> that's that, that that's why I'm not on the radio. I don't even show up at our <laughs> office. I literally just worked at home, trying and, to work in isolation. And so. he said, "If
0: we were to apply some potash this fall, is broadcasting it on top okay?" Or would you rather see it deep banded? And he doesn't say what crop he's doing, but
1: uh, just kind of curious about fall applications of potash. Do they need to be in the ground? Um, They don't have to be in the ground, but there are a few things I want you to consider. First, potassium doesn't move much quickly unless you have lots of rain and sand. So if you have lots of rain and sand, no big deal. If you don't, then getting it down in the soil is probably going to be helpful. One other thing that we often encourage people to do is let's soil test even, let's just say, every three inches. Just take a couple three spots in your farm. Take a zero to three inch, a three to six inch, a six to nine, a nine to 12, and then maybe even sample just 12 to 24 inches deep, just maybe one sample or something. You don't have to go crazy overboard. But here's most likely what you're going to find. In your zero to three, you probably already loaded up with potassium. Your three to six, not terrible. Your six to nine, awful. So if that's the case, then just think about this logically and how you would answer your own question. If my zero to three inches already has all the potassium I need and then some, my three to six is eh, a little short, my six to nine is awful and I have almost nothing, where do you think we should put the K? If we lay it on the soil surface without tillage, it's going to take Well, it all depends on your area. So like in our area, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that if I laid it on the soil surface in no-till and it sat there for, I don't know, 20 years, I might get it down past three inches. Seriously, it isn't going to move much in our soils because we're super heavy, seems to never rain, and we're frozen almost half the year. So we're in a lot different situation than a guy in the southern U.S. that's got constant rain and sand. So just keep that in mind. That's the challenge with potassium. It varies depending on your, your situation. So, yeah, I, I, you know, you, I hope you see where I'm going with this. So I'm trying to lay out, here's why you would put it on top. Here's why you would put it down in the ground. So like in our farm, would I want to put it down in the ground? Yeah. If it's somewhere else, um, I may just leave it on top. And you don't have to spend the money on tillage or deeper injection. All right. Thanks for the
0: question, Uh, Brian. Get this one in from Chris. And he said, uh, Thanks for answering my previous questions I've sent in. But this question is What agronomic data software do you suggest for planting yield application data and so forth? We run a rainbow fleet. Deer tractors and planters, but case combines, rogator sprayer,
1: lots of different stuff. Hard to find something to put in one place. When he said Rainbow Fleet, I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, I got it. yeah I'm a little slow today. Anyway, um so we're, we're there's some new software we just started using, Verify. Uh, doesn't matter the brand of equipment you're running in terms of... Now we can track soil tests, um, we can create planning maps, we can do variable rate application maps, um, we can also see satellite imagery and and implement or integrate all these things together. So that's what we're using, Verify. V-R-A-F-Y dot com.
0: Thanks for the question, and thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.